Hey everyone, it's Jeff from Modern Combat and Survival, and i got to tell you, this week's interview with survival trainer David Pruitt really made my head hurt, because it covers an area that I thought I knew enough about to keep me protected in a large-scale disaster. But by the end of the interview, I realized just how much I didn't know. Now, it's all about communication methods during a collapse, and I'll warn you now, there are a few spots of technical lingo in here that most of you may not recognize, and that's okay. My suggestion, regardless, is to get a copy of David's new DVD that will show you everything you need to know step by step. Now, this interview is going to be a great primer for you, and it's going to give you some instantly actionable tips. The DVD will bring you all the way home. Check this out. bullets were flying, your adrenaline surging, would you hit your target? If the world as you know it crumbled tomorrow, collapsed into chaos, would you know how to survive? If you and those you loved were cornered by a gang, violently attacked, could you protect them? Could you protect them? Could you protect them? Firearms training, urban survival, close quarters combat. This, this is another podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is Modern Combat and Survival. You count on your survival gear. You stockpile that gear specifically to help you through an emergency. But what if I told you that right now there's a crucial piece of gear you rely on almost every single day that's almost guaranteed to fail and fail at the exact moment you need it most? There's nothing you can do to stop it from failing either. So can you guess what it is? It's your phone. Now, it's probably not a shocker to you that communications are one of the most neglected areas of preparedness. I mean, I'm sure we've all allowed our smartphones to become an almost indispensable part of our daily routine. And their portability and ease of use makes them seem like the ideal communications tool during a disaster. But the sad fact is that nothing could be further from the truth. And if you want proof, you don't need to look any further than recent history to understand the importance of a solid communications plan when our infrastructure collapses. During Hurricane Katrina and Hurricane Sandy, communications failed because landline and wireless cellular phone services were knocked out of commission by power failures, hurricane force winds, and massive widespread flooding. Now, with no personal communications plan, residents were left without the ability to call for help or notify family and friends of their well-being. And most people also lacked the ability to keep their phones and other devices charged and operational. The landlines that once stayed on during a power outage are all but extinct these days, and people now rely on their wireless phone, and those phones will fail. Now, in the military, it's always been standard operating procedure that when you set up a perimeter, the first thing you do is you establish communications. And the reason for this is that you never know when you're going to be attacked, and you need the ability to communicate with the other members of your unit and possibly call in for backup support as well. Now, the same is true for civilians in an emergency or collapse scenario. You need to be able to get access to help when you need it and also to communicate with your survival group and your loved ones, both to coordinate your efforts as well as to keep everyone together. So what are the keys of establishing and maintaining communications in a collapse? Well, that's what we're here to find out. Hello, everyone. This is Jeff Anderson, editor for Modern Combat Survival Magazine with another podcast to help you better prepare in your role as a protector and a patriot. And my guest today is Dr. David Pruitt to talk about collapse communications. David, welcome to the program. Hey, Jeff, thank you so much for inviting me on the podcast. It's a real pleasure to spend time with you. No, this is awesome. I've been trying to, we've been trying to get this going for a while. And between travel schedules, it's been, it's been tough. And I'm glad I finally got you on. 
Now, listen, everyone, uh, David is a board-certified emergency physician. Now, he's, he's the guy whose job it is to sew people back together in the ER. And before he became an emergency room physician, he spent 11 years as an emergency physician on active duty with the Navy. Now, he also spent eight years as a firefighter and EMT before he attended medical school. Now, in that time, he saw firsthand just how important communications can be in an emergency. And he's developed simple steps to show anyone how to build an integrated survival communication system, no matter how little experience you may have. Now, you can learn more about Dr. David Pruitt and his training at amp-3.net. Now, that's www.amp-3.net. Now, David, let's go ahead and jump right into this. Now, we spend a lot of time at Modern Combat and Survival talking about how to avoid danger in a crisis while maximizing the resources that are available to sustain you for like long-term survival. Now, that's tough when you have to when everything around you is is kind of crumbling and crashing down. So, one thing I found is that intelligence in a crisis is one of the biggest advantages that you can have. Knowing what's out there, what's going on, and what you can use to help you and your survival group can literally mean the difference between life or death. So what are the best ways to stay on top of intelligence in a crisis so that you you know what's going on, you know where the danger zones are, and what resources are available to you to survive? So, Jeff, that's an excellent question. And by the way, an excellent um, um, intro. Um, I, I, I always tell people um, communications is a critical skill set, and it's probably the most neglected area of preparedness. Um, and you also bring up a very good point. Intelligence is uh, critical, and the ability to gather intelligence is so important. And the best way to do that is to have a communications plan that has that as an, as an aspect. So the, the most important thing with radios, I think, is uh, listening. Um, obviously, voice communication with uh, members of your team as you're perhaps uh, coordinating patrols or that type of thing is important. But more importantly, I think it's the ability to listen and gather information, what's happening on a local level, regional level, and a national level. And so one of the quick things you can do real quick, um, add to your skill set without a lot of uh, knowledge or um, effort is to get a scanner. And you want to get a trunk scanner that allows you to listen to your local agencies. A lot of them use the uh, trunk systems. If you go to a place like Radio Shack and ask for a trunk scanner that will work in your local area, they will for sure get you set up. So a scanner, and then the next thing is a shortwave radio with single sideband capability. There are a lot of prepper uh, nets that happen on a regular basis. I can talk about those in a minute, but they all are done on ham bands on the 20-meter, 40-meter, and 80-meter bands. And they're all done in single sideband. So you want to get a shortwave radio that has single sideband capability. I would avoid those radios that have hand cranks or little solar panels, uh, things that charge your cell phone. You want a tool that's going to do one thing, and that is give you communications and the ability to gather um, intelligence that's happening local, regional, and nationally. Yeah. What about um, a CB radio? I mean, when I was a kid... My dad had a CB radio in the truck, and we would listen to truckers, and they would always keep tabs on, like, where where the police were, you know, what was if there were different accidents, if different highways were jammed up, which can all make, a, you know, is a big deal if, like, some trucker is 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 on, you know, Channel 19, and, and there's a, a through a highway that you'd plan on, you might have to bug out on, you know not to go there because 
like are CB radios any of any um, use for keeping up like on intelligence or, or what's going on out there? You know, I think it's certainly an option that I would consider in my plan. It's not one that I rely on a yeah. lot, and there's mainly because there's uh, some propagation issues that affect reliable CB communications for what we're talking about, and that is the old um, amateur 11-meter band, if I'm not mistaken. And if you do some reading on it, it's very easy to Google that. You'll see that there are some propagation issues, and that's why UHF, VHF uh, communications kind of really came into its um, – you know, the forefront of communications for local and regional communications because much more reliable um, uh, propagation and uh, and communication option. Yeah. You know, one of the other things I found also, I mean, I don't, I don't think we ever talked about this before, but, you know, my town, uh, my little town in Texas just went through the worst flood in what's supposedly in Texas history. And we had 17 homes that were, that were, I'm sorry, 75 homes that were destroyed. 17 of them dragged into the river. And the thing is, it happened like really late at night. And we were getting the communication like over our phones. The warnings were coming in, but everybody kind of just ignored them. Or some people don't even have their phone on, you know? So right. one thing I did after that was get a weather station radio as well that always, you know, it, even when, um, you know, it has a battery backup and everything, but it, it's really loud. It tells me what it's, it's tuned into the National Weather Service. So it's, um, you know, and it gives me a much, much better, um, information about what's in my area, um, even more so than like the alerts that come over, um, the phone. In fact, it always hits my, my scanner, my, my weather, um, station radio before it hits my phone. Exactly. And I, so you bring up a good point. I think there's a numbness um, and people don't have that trigger to say, I need to act. And I think when, you're, when your radio goes off because of the NOAA weather alert, and some of them will do that automatically, um, and you can even get a scanner that has that built in as a capability. Um, mm-hmm. When that goes off, you get that alert tone and it, it kind of sets your mindset, okay, I need to do something about this. But a lot of people are preparing for, you know, a, perhaps a, a social economic collapse, which I think is a, honestly is a, a, a potential that's facing all of us in our near future. But no matter where you live, you in Texas with uh, weather and um, um, us up here in the Pacific Northwest with weather as well as earthquake, these are natural disasters that face us on a daily basis, and you're not going to get warnings. So you need to be prepared with communication, and having no weather alert is a very important aspect of that communications plan. Yeah, yeah. Now, David, let's let's go ahead and talk about sheltering in place because I mean, obviously, that's one of the the best. I mean, it's one of the easiest things to do if you have that ability. And we have a lot of our listeners and readers who have very defined shelter in place plans, and you know, they've thought through their stockpiles and and all the precautions that are necessary to ride out a disaster in their homes or the retreats, if that's at all possible. Now, this does give you some advantages because you obviously can have more gear at home. You you have more opportunities there. And I think from a commo perspective, it also might give you some more options as well. So what is the best method of maintaining communications while sheltering in place during a crisis? What's the, the best gear that we can use to be able to do that? So another excellent question, Jeff, and I think we're on the same page, and I think I'm a kindred spirit with your listeners. I'm a big, big fan of sheltering in place. I think your best survivability is going to be sheltering in place, and if you have to be on the move, I think you're putting your family 
and yourself at risk. It might be a possibility, but I think you're always better sheltering in place. So what's the best communication option uh, for sheltering in place? When I think of that, I think of local communications. I want to be able to communicate with my family and my team or the people that I vetted that are part of my survival plan. And the best communication uh, option in that setting is going to be um, UHF, DHF radios. That brings in, um, my, my favorite option is going to be, of course, um, ham radio and um, either using local repeaters or uh, simplex, which is radio-to-radio communications. Um, outside of that, you have some other options available to you. Obviously, a ham radio requires getting a license, but it's not hard to do or expensive. You can also use something called GMRS or the General Mobile Radio Service. And um, to fully optimize that, you should get a license that costs $80. It's a no-test license. You fill out a form on the FCC website, and within two hours, I just did this, actually, within two hours, you get your um, uh, GMRS call sign by email, and that gives you and your immediate family the ability to operate GMRS on higher wattage um, with that single license. So that single license would allow you and your family members to operate GMRS up to 50 watts. Um, most of the handhelds are going to be in the five watt range. And of course, that little extra bit of power over the half a watt that people have with the bubble talk radios is going to give you a lot of capability. So ham radio, GMRS, and you can also use another radio service called MERS or the multiple uh, use radio service. That's two watts, five channels, no test, no license. So those are three good options. FRS is certainly something that people are going to be thinking about, but in all honesty, I think it will not be useful in the setting that we're talking about because so many people will be talking on that radio service. Your best bet there is going to be listening and monitoring that to gather information, but to use it reliably for communication with your team. Unless you're remote, you're going to have a lot of bleed over traffic that's going to make it hard to rely on that um, as a single mode of communication. So uh, sheltering in, I think you want to think of um, short-range communications, radio, GMRS, and MERS. You know, there's one thing that uh, one of our readers had brought up a while ago that always intrigued me, and um, it, it was in relation to a post that we had on our blog about ham radios, and and his comment was that a, a better option that didn't require all the licensing and everything was marine radios. But And, and his comment was also that you're, they're only supposed to be used out on the water, but, you know, if it's a crisis, who, who cares if you're out on the water or not? But what he said was that the, they have much better, better distance than like um like uh, like um well i mean i guess not comparable necessarily that to ham radio but that it gave you more distance um without having to get licensing and stuff like that do you know anything about marine radios so i've, I've not i've not investigated marine radios i've heard that discussed quite a bit in the uh, preparedness community um we're we're again talking about uhf dhf communication and uh, your range or your distance that you can have uh, reliable communications is going to be really limited to line of sight. Now, um, that is going to be obviously much better out in a marine setting because you're out on the open water. Yeah. But um, really, you want to think of um, ham radio, GMRS, um, FRS, and I'm pretty sure I'd have to double check. I don't want to be speaking out of turn. But I believe the marine bands are also in the UHF, BHF range. 
and there, you're really limited to line of sight uh, as, as the uh, defining factor there. So if you're operating in flat ground, like I would imagine where you are in Texas, um, you're going to be much better than me in the Pacific Northwest where I've got a lot of hills and valleys and mountains that get in the way. And that's where repeaters are going to be helpful or having a radio that has the ability to do something called cross-band repeat. And that's where you can actually use a radio um, on a temporary basis and set that up as a temporary repeater for your group and operate on a cross-band repeat mode. Okay. All right, great. That the question. Yeah, it did. It did. Okay, listen, everybody. We've been talking with uh, with David Pruitt of amp-3.net. That's amp-3.net um, about how to develop your survival communication strategy to prepare for a natural disaster or collapse. We have a lot more coming up, including bug out communications and how to keep informed and connected while on the run. How to keep the communications between your family and survival team secure in an age of prying ears and the very first steps you need to take now in order to build out your own combo strategy. But first, check out this special message. In any disaster, crisis, or attack, your life and the life of those you love could solely rest on the survival gear you've acquired. Do you have the proper gear to protect you from the threats you'll face? Whether it's preparing your home against the destruction and mayhem of a city in chaos, or you're bugging out to a safer location when a natural disaster forces you from your home, the supplies you have right now could ensure your survival or seal your fate. Don't take the risk. Claim your free copy of our exclusive guide, Survival Gear Secrets, at survivalgearsecrets.com and discover the seven-phase survival gear plan every family must prepare for or face the consequences. Five no-bullshit warning signs that a collapse is headed your way, so you're already in action long before your neighbors even know what hit them. And how to know exactly when it's safer to stay at home and shelter in place. Or get in the family bug out mobile and get the hell out of Dodge. Your fellow citizens may be fine with sleeping in a crowded stadium waiting for FEMA to hand them a granola bar, juice box, and a blankie. But you know that no one can protect your family better than you can. If you're properly prepared with the right supplies and equipment to ensure your survival. Don't wait until it's too late. Find out what's missing from your survival gear plan by grabbing your free copy of Survival Gear Secrets now at www.survivalgearsecrets.com. And now, back to our show. Okay, we're back with David Pruitt of amp-3.net about putting together your survival communications plan. Now, we've just gotten started and we have a lot more to get to, so let's go ahead and jump right back in. Now, David, as as determined as we might be to shelter in place and as much survival gear as we might have stockpiled up, there's going to come a time where either those supplies are going to run out or you may have to leave them because the place where you're staying has is just too dangerous. And that decision's made for you. It's no longer shelter in place mode. It is now in bug out mode. And when it's time to bug out, you still need to be able to maintain communications. But obviously, you're not going to be lugging around an enormous ham radio that when you know when you set out to when you set out on the trail. So what's the best means of communication in a bug out type scenario? So that's a great question, Jeff. And again, it uh, ties back into our previous question, and that is going to be um, really you're looking at an option that's going to give you um, local communication. So if you're having to be on the move, you want to be able to communicate with your team as you're on the move. You might have someone that's out ahead kind of scouting things to see 
if things are safe for the group to kind of move through an area. You might need to communicate with people. Perhaps you're moving in two elements, moving through an area. So um, I would be considering local communication. And again, you're going to be using, um, I think the best bet is going to be UHF, VHF communications. Um, ham radio, GMRS, MERS are going to fit in there very nicely. And you're going to be really probably using something called simplex or radio-to-radio communications. Yeah. So what about like, I mean, the, typically I think everybody's going to look at those little handheld things that you can get down at the local Bass Pro Shop, the basically the walkie-talkies. Yeah. Are, I mean, I know they always say like, you know, up to 35 miles range or up to, you know, some of them up to five miles, up to 10 miles. Are those, I mean, are, are those the types of things that you're talking about and how realistic are those ranges? So that, that's a that's an excellent uh, point right there. And I spend a lot of time talking to people, trying to steer them away from that option, because those radios are they're perhaps useful for very close-in communication, uh, but they're not going to be reliable for long distance. And, I, and frequently, um, they are overrated in terms of how far they can communicate. Again, remember, UHF, VHF is line of sight. And is it possible for one of those radios to communicate 35 miles? perhaps under very optimal conditions, but uh, the reality is you're really probably talking more in the one to three mile range at best, depending upon your conditions. Those radios are limited to half a watt and they have a permanent mounted antenna. And that's why I try to steer people towards either a ham radio where you can get up to five watts in a handheld and put on an optimized antenna that gives you some extra gain. Or if you don't want to take a test, Start using GMRS and get a license and be able to use um, a handheld at 5 watts with an optimized antenna, or even switch to MERS, which will give you at least 2 watts and give you a lot more uh, capability. And also, um, you know, a lot of people don't even know about MERS, and the chances of other people being uh, on that frequency and making it difficult for your communications or listening in there in your communications is going to be much less. Hmm. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, cool. Now, this is one of the biggest questions that we get is, what if I'm not with my family? Um, you know, what if what if my kids are at school, my, my wife is at, at work, and I'm at work, and we're, you know, separated by a few miles, and all of a sudden something happens and, and things get jammed. Um, now, there's other things that you can do with that, basically, you know, having agreed upon rally points or meeting meeting places and things like that. But is there anything communication-wise? Like if I got my kids at, at kids are at school, um, is there anything that you recommend that might be a good option for if I need to get them and I can't get them on on a cell phone? Yeah, so that's a, that's a good question. And you know, where we live in the Pacific Northwest, we live in a town that's called Bridge City, and I, I I frequently talk to people in the scenario of if we have an earthquake and the bridges go down and you're on one side of the river because of your job but your family's on the other side, um, you know, how do you get in touch with them or maybe an ice or snowstorm? And so it depends on your kids and how old they are and what they're, how facile they are with technology. But even if you gave each kid, and, and I, you know, my daughter is 22. She lives in another state right now um, going to graduate school. She has a quote-unquote bug-out bag that mom and dad put together for her. And I've got two things in there for her. I have a pre-programmed um, ham radio. Um, and I also, um, she also has a disposable phone. 
So those are things to think about. But for the scenario you're talking about, I would get a good, reliable uh, GMRS radio. I would practice with my kids. This is just another reason to practice. This is a, 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 a potential scenario that the kids are going to say, oh, I know why I need to do this. What if there's a weather event and dad can't come pick me up? I'm going to turn on channel four and try and talk to dad or at least listen until dad talks to me. And if I can't hear him, I know that his other channel that he likes is channel 12. You know, whatever scenario you come up with. And then you practice that with the kids. And you might even go one step farther by having mom with the kids, you know, at school and dad at home and then practice. Gosh, I can't get you on the cell phone. The kids are listening on the radio and they know the comfort of hearing you on the radio. And then you have the comfort of knowing that that distance is workable with those radios and that the system works. Um, so I have a, a funny story to tell you, but it brings in a good, a really good point here. And, and that is, you know, when I was, when my, my friends and I were, um, were sitting in the barracks, this was when I was in the military, we're all sitting around drinking beer, really, really cheap beer. And, uh, we had this, the AM FM radio on, it was just like some FM station we were listening to on the radio. And, my uh one of the guys in the in the barracks was talking to his girlfriend on one of his wireless uh, uh one of the wireless phones and for somehow i don't know how it happened i still to this day don't know but but basically we started picking up his conversation with his girlfriend over the phone and he was getting all smoochy with her and a total sap we're all sitting around drinking really cheap beer laughing our asses off but it, you know for for me it was like okay wait a minute how secure is communicate wireless communications when you can pick it up on like an FM radio? And so, you know, when it when it comes to this type of a thing, I mean, especially when you're dealing with collapse or emergency scenarios or something like that, I mean, security is going to be a big thing. So when I'm communicating by radio with my family or my team, I want to know that I'm not being monitored and that my communications aren't going to be used against me. Obviously, I use commercially available handheld sometimes, and anybody on that same frequency can listen in. So how do I secure my communications in an emergency scenario? Boy, that's a, that's a question I've spent a lot of time thinking about and talking about. Um, so you, number one, you bring up a good point, and that is you need to be aware that anytime you're transmitting on a wireless device, we're talking about a radio, if someone is able to tune in on your frequency that you're transmitting on, they're going to be able to receive what you're transmitting out. So things that you can do to help, um, you know, decrease that risk. Number one, when you do transmit, transmit for as short a time as possible to make it difficult for someone to find you and be very precise about what you're trying to communicate so you get that message across quickly. You might even develop some sort of code, if you will, that your team uses um, where you're using uh, place names or perhaps serialized numbers that transmit information um, that can be understood later on when that person takes that message and kind of decodes it. You do need to know that if you're a ham radio operator, it is illegal for you in any way to conceal your message in, um, in the conditions that we operate in now. In other words, rule of law. But in a grid-down scenario, for sure, people are going to be um, concealing their communications just for safety and security. So one way to do that is um, obviously having some code words and numbers that you use to conceal that information. You can also use digital communications. 
um, that makes it more difficult for someone to understand what you're transmitting unless they know what to do. Um, something like TSK31, where you're transmitting a digital communication. Um, again, it would be plain text, and if someone knew TSK31, they could decode it. But in a grid-down scenario, you might switch to using code and then using something like um, one of the digital ham modes um, as well. And again, I'm not advocating anybody do anything illegal um, in a time of rule of law, but in a grid-down scenario where you are surviving for your safety and security, um, that would certainly be an option that I would be considering. There are also some radios that um, are new out on the market that I'm a big fan of. Um, the Terminator um, 8 uh, radio uh, from Anytone Tech, um, they have a mode called Frequency Hopping Spread Spectrum. And it takes a little while to explain that, but basically that radio is jumping around on an algorithm through a number of frequencies, and it makes it very hard to track and listen to. The purpose for that is to allow a lot of people to talk on one um, frequency band area um, without interference, but from a preparedness point of view, it gives you some secure communications. It just gives you extra ability to be safe and secure in your transmission. Yeah. And you bring up a really good point, just even about like, um, you know, code words and things like that, especially if you have, you know, if you have like rally points, if you're worried about people knowing your location and things like that, you know, instead of giving town names or addresses or anything like that, it should, you should have pre, pre, you know, kind of pre understood rally point code names. Like, um, you know, we talk about things like if you have a horse named Thunder, like it'd be, you know, Rally Point Thunder might be the stable or something like that. Or uh, Base Camp Num Num might be what you call your grandmother or something like that. And so that maybe that house is like a fallback point or, or a secondary rally point or something like that. But that definitely helps to maintain, you know, your security as far as other people wouldn't know what those rally points are. Those I, agree 100 per, I agree 100%. And the more those words kind of fit the normal lexicon, if you will, of a conversation, mm -hmm. um, the more it would be difficult for someone to listen in and say, oh, I bet that's a code word for something. Um, so if you have those lists predetermined and you practice that as a team and you have those lists distributed amongst your team, you certainly have a level of security that's going to be very, very helpful. Yeah, good point. Now, it's it's obvious that every prepper and survivalist needs a communication plan if he's going to keep up with his keep his group together and coordinate all their efforts and and avoid danger and maximize resources and all these things. And most people don't have that communications plan. So so to end all of this, what would you say are, are like those three most critical steps that somebody needs to do in order to really establish their communication plan? When they leave this right now, what should what are the three simplest and most powerful steps that they can take to get this going? That's a great, great question. You're talking to an emergency position, and I always think in, in you know, uh, sets of three, if you will. So ABC kind of thing. So first thing is, number one, start building a, a comms kit. Um, scanner, shortwave radio with single sideband capability and a good, reliable, dual-band um, radio. Number two is establish a plan. And that can be very simple to start with. And it should be simple to start with and then kind of grow as your needs and your team grows in their communications expertise. But you should have a primary and secondary channel for 
and I'll send you a copy of um, just a pocket card that I hand out to people at preparedness shows just so they can start. But um, And this sounds silly, but I tell people a primary and secondary cell phone contact local and, um, and outside your state. And the reason I have people write them down is because these days we rely on these smartphones. And if you were to ask me my wife's phone number, you know, it'd be not unreasonable to say, gosh, I don't remember because I just push her face on the, on, the, <laughs> on the screen. So you write down these numbers. You need two local contacts, two uh, regional contacts, a primary and secondary um, GMRS um, radio frequency uh, or channel, um, a primary and secondary MERS channel, and we use those in our family, and then a primary and secondary HAM simplex uh, frequency and a primary and secondary ham repeater um, in your local area. And if those are written down, your family knows, gosh, if, if I need to get in touch with dad, he's going to be listening on this repeater. If I can't get him, the backup repeater is this. The last thing is when to listen, because in a grid down scenario, you want to be conserving your power. I'm a big fan of the 12, 3, 6, 9, 12, pattern. And that means at five minutes before 12, all the way through five minutes after 12, you start listening for me. If you don't hear me on our agreed upon uh, frequency or backup frequency, then you turn your radio off and you don't listen again for me until five of three and five after three. And that way, in between, you have your radio turned off and you're conserving your battery power. That said, I would be having a scanner running on backup battery and hopefully solar capability to keep that battery up. So I'm listening to what's going on around me and also my shortwave with single sideband capability so I can listen in on these preparedness nets and gather local and regional uh, information. Great. Yeah. The only thing I would, I would, I would say probably, um, which a lot of people forget is to test out whatever systems. And we talk about that with everything exactly. from gear and everything. But I mean, I think a lot of people maybe. They set up their communications by getting a couple of shortwave radios down at the Bass Pro, and then it's like, okay, I've got them. Then when you go to use them is when you find out, no, you don't have 35 miles of, of range. You have 35 feet, and that's the worst time to try and figure that out in the middle of a crisis. So I guess, you know, obviously I think with ham and, and a lot of the radios you're talking about, they they kind of require practice. You know, it's something that um, when you start doing it, the only way you're going to be proficient with those is if you're actually using them somewhat. But I think for the simpler ones, people need to realize that just because you have it doesn't mean that it's it's going to be you know it's going to be everything that you need when you need it to be there. I agree, I agree 100%. You were in the military. I want to thank you for your service. But oh, you thanks. know that in the military, what do we do? We train. And why do we train? Because we want to make mistakes in a training environment where we can learn from those mistakes, so that in the real game, hopefully you're not going to make those mistakes and the lessons that you learned have had some sort of corrective action. So anybody that has one of these handheld radios from Cabela's, and I'm nothing against Cabela's or that particular radio, but if you think you're going to get 35 miles of reliable comms out of that, go test that um, with your buddy and see, does it work in our environment? Do we really get 35 miles? You're going to say, oh, my gosh, we only get maybe half a mile or a mile. We need to come up with a different option, and that's going to aim you in in the direction of what we're talking about today, and that is developing a plan, getting a comms kit up for everybody in your group, and then practice, practice, practice. Awesome. Well, David, I, I really appreciate you taking some time with us today. I mean, this is um, – listen, everybody, 
there were a lot of acronyms thrown out there, okay? And um, obviously, you can tell that there, this can be pretty involved, especially if you're looking at things like HAM and things like that. So, you know, putting this together, it, it, it can be made simple if you know just a few tricks. Now, David also has a DVD that he just released on the survival communications that goes into this in a much, much more, uh, you know, like kind of a simpler format and, it, and it's visual so you can see how to use these different types of things. It makes it a lot easier. So I highly recommend you check that out. Uh, go over to his website. Again, it's www.amp, that's A-M-P, dash the number three dot net. And you'll be able to find out more information about his training, about the different things that he has there, as well as the DVD. So definitely go and check that out. As you can see, um, it's going to require you digging in a little bit more, but hopefully you also see the importance of, of developing your communications plan as much as you do any of the other survival plans that you're putting together. So definitely go check that out. Um, and until our next Modern Combat and Survival broadcast, this is Jeff Anderson saying train hard, stay safe, prepare now. This has been Modern Combat and Survival. Survival. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us out by rating our podcast on iTunes and leaving a comment. You can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Modern Combat and Survival. And don't forget to claim your free subscription to Modern Combat and Survival magazine at www.moderncombatandsurvival.com. Lock and load. And we'll see you next time. This has been Modern Combat and Survival.